This is a What's Brewing at the Culinary Academy podcast. We are just chefs chewing the fat about all things food-related with insightful and casual conversation in a lighthearted manner. We will invite guests every so often to join us at our table, such as chefs, industry professionals, students, and anyone who is a food enthusiast. So kick back and wrap your paws around your favorite beverage as you are our guest for the next 30 minutes or so. And we hope you savor the experience. Well, 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 here we are. Another segment. Uh, I think this is episode 10, isn't it? Episode Joel? 10, I do believe. All right. Oh. I, well, this is pretty... Into the double digits. Uh, yeah. We're on the wall here. Soon, soon we'll be in the teens. <laughs> Such a, a nice little baby podcast yes. growing its wings. And now that's... Yeah, that's a whole other animal. When you get from the kids to the teens. <laughs> so let me introduce yourself. Uh, myself, I'm, uh, I'm your host, Chef Steve Weiss, Associate Dean of Hospitality and Culinary Arts here at Blue Ridge Community and Technical College, along with Chef Miriam Conroy, Culinary Chair and Instructor Extraordinaire. Thank you. Right. And um, uh, and last but not least, our executive producer, Joel Haslip, the one that does everything to get these things done and put them all on the web for everybody to see and on the air. Uh, without him, we cannot get this done. And yeah. uh, we thank you for all of your time here and uh, helping us get all these 10 podcasts up. I'm happy to do it. This, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is great. Thank you. Um, so our first brew, and we have a What's Brewing segment. For those of you who are, are not familiar, we usually go through some segments. And our first segment that we usually go through is our What's Brewing segment. And we usually invite either industry professionals or students at times or just, you know, anybody that's a food enthusiast, as I said in the beginning, um, to come in and just kind of chat with us a little bit about what they do and how they do it. Today we have uh, a chef from the Hillbrook Inn, right? And that is located in what part? Charlestown, West Virginia. Charlestown, West Virginia. You know, Charlestown is so broad. I keep wanting to think, I would keep wanting to say something else, yeah. like maybe Inwood or, because it's, it's kind of tucked in a little bit out of the way. It is. It's well, in and sometimes. Summit Point. Yeah. Right. I was going to say sometimes people say Summit Point. They say Kearneysville. There's like different. Right. Ranson. You know, right. Yeah. I really don't know how to classify it. <laughs> right. But, but, it's, but it's, it's, it's out there and we've been there and it's, it's, yeah, it's, beautiful. it's amazing, amazing property. And if you yeah. haven't been there, you have to go. But we have. Uh, our, we have the Hillbrook in Hillbrook Hillbrook in executive chef here, Chef Rampy, Chef and I. You know, I apologize. I really don't. I don't know your first name. Can you tell me your first name? It, it, nobody needs to know. <laughs> <laughs> For legal reasons, we're not going to show the first name. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, so Chef Rampy, it's uh, really, really a pleasure having you here, and uh, we're going to break you through the coals like we did Emma on the last show. <laughs> no, but uh, it's uh, hopefully it'll be enjoyable. But we're, um, you know, we'd like to ask you a couple of questions. We, you know, we know that it, it's difficult for us to uh, at times to find internships really good internships for our students. And um, many times they just don't know where to go. And uh, we were lucky to come upon uh, the Hilpkin years ago. And, uh, um, you know, I think Emma was probably one of the first students that we had there. Was Emma one of the first couple? Yes, yes. she yeah. was. Yeah, Emma she was probably one of the first trip. students that we had there. And, uh, and now Bob, uh, you know, um, Bob has been there for a while now too. So it's... Um, um, it's really great that that they have an opportunity to work with with uh, you know with a with a wonderful and talented chef like yourself at a at a facility like that that has it's multifaceted because you have the inn there and you have food and then you do catering you do weddings on the property as well correct so that's that's uh, you know pretty pretty amazing uh, but can you tell us a little bit about your background and your history about where you came from and you know where you are right now 
Yeah, so not to say I've cheated by looking at the first two questions. <laughs> uh, but, but you totally cheated. <laughs> uh, I'll try not to be long-winded um, because to me, reading them, answering mm-hmm. the first question definitely ties in with the second question mm-hmm. um, in terms yep. of my upbringing yep. and guided culinary philosophy of, so growing up, uh, I grew up in several areas in the western half of Virginia uh, and then in the northern side of Chicago, all of which kind of had, my mother was raised on a farm, had farm-associated poultry, mm-hmm. things of that nature, and always had a garden. Um, so growing up, I was very accustomed to going and getting my own you know, tomatoes for dinner and cleaning and picking all of the weeds out and mm-hmm. kind of a good start. creating <laughs> a, um, an ideology way back then that I never realized until I'm kind of where I'm at now through my culinary career of understanding the life cycle of produce mm-hmm. and yeah. farm life as it stands and how they are all intertwined. Yes. Uh, especially with the seasons, right? So, mm-hmm. and then you get into the nuances of like, oh, well, I don't want to use that produce out of season. And then that has guided kind of my philosophical approach to also designing menus and kind of getting to where I am now, where I create a menu seasonally, you know. Mm-hmm based off of looking at the grand picture of, all right, what's in season, what's, you know, the best, right? Because every year we get different weather. That's true. And, <laughs> you know, on the East Coast, we can all agree that we had a very interesting winter that led into, so crop rotations were affected. Unfortunately, not a lot of bugs were killed off. So that kind of got into guiding where I'm at today. Um mm-hmm. I grew up and spent 12 years in Chicago mm. in the fine dining sector. Um, started out at Vermilion, which was a Bib Gourmad Indian Michelin uh, restaurant. Was there for a year. Moved on through the Bib Gourmad mm-hmm. gambit, so to speak. Um, unfortunately, two of the restaurants that I had tenure at have closed mm-hmm. due so to you, so you have a you have a good background in Indian food then. Uh, tentatively, yeah. I worked in two different styles of Indian restaurant. One on mm-hmm. kind of more focused on the southern eastern half, and mm-hmm. then one more centralized. Um, and then uh, I worked in Italy okay. for four months. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of Italian would be in my. Later half, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. Actual cooking um, in terms of my first Michelin star restaurant Mm -hmm. was Italian, the Florentine, and then moving on to Schwa, which was more, you know, you'd look online and it's the whole American contemporary thing. Um, And that's really where I would say I cut my teeth and found my own um, thought process for what I enjoy and how to create dishes and conceptually put them together. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then as well, like kind of why my thought process for dictating a menu and how to write it, whether it's just simply a la carte or the tasting Mm -hmm. side. I do a lot of uh, tasting menu work Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, privately and here at Hillbrook, um, where generally I find myself kind of manipulating the menu to get people to eat mm-hmm. the dishes that I want to eat. Mm. Yep. Um, but making it so it's not so blatantly obvious <laughs> or putting spins on classics. So, yeah. like, currently um, our first course is a play on a loaded baked potato, but we make a very traditional pierogi, and then we use kind of your base elements, right? So mm-hmm. instead of doing your basic chives or scallions, we do leeks in several ways. So mm-hmm. the bases get done into a ceviche, the tops get sliced, salted, uh, dusted in some gluten-free flour, and then fried for textual component. Mm-hmm. And then we take uh, bacon, give your classic lardone, mm-hmm. and then we use the fat, though, to then sear off the pierogi, give it that color. So aesthetically, you have what looks to be a baked potato in front oh, of you. That's, that's very nice. Which is fantastic, and I love that you're mm-hmm. utilizing everything. Yeah. Right, You're yes. not letting anything go to waste. No, and that's definitely getting back to, like, growing up, you know, not being turned off by dandelion greens and being <laughs> being more or less forced, like, these are in your like salad. I was, I was, I was. So you, so you dabble in a little bit. Um, so it looks like you do you do some deconstruction, and obviously you, you bring it back to making it obviously taste as, as it should, but it looks Correct. a little bit different. So molecular yes. gastronomy, you kind of dabble in a little bit of molecular gastronomy, I would imagine. Uh, not as much as I used to now. Mm-hmm. I think the, that sector of time mm-hmm. is definitely gone away, Yeah, uh, which is, mm-hmm. I have feelings about it. It's, it's funny because we had a 16-week program that I taught um, while it was very trendy. Mm-hmm. And a lot, of, a lot of students really enjoyed it. They did, but you just hit the nail on the head. You said it was trendy. It's trendy, yeah. It's not applied, and yeah. Well, that was in the, the description. N- it's, the it's novelty description of, of the molecular gastronomy. Yeah. That was that, but that's it. it was the novelty, and then once you've done it, yeah, done it. I'm sorry, I like yeah. my food totally. <laughs> well, you know, and 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 Farron Adria, if you know Farron Adria, I mean, he's he's like the the grandfather of that type of oh, cuisine. Yeah. You know? Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so you know, he he made a mint out of it. I mean, I think. Uh, oh, for. Yeah, at the time, I mean, he closed it down, but he was he had. I forget how many seats. He had 2 million seats a year, I think. He had reservations for 2 million, and he can only he can only seat, like, I don't know, like 100,000 people a year. And it's just, it was just crazy when it was when it was open. Well, yeah, I mean, the same thing happened with um, Jose's uh, mini bar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. But he brought a lot of that. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, he trained under him. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He brought a lot of that over. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 um, it was a trendy a very trendy course, you know, that we, we did uh, spherification, we did foams, we did, and, and I think it still has a place uh, in certain aspects, you know, but not, obviously not day to day. I mean, I remember there was chefs out there that were making, everything was molecular gastronomy mm-hmm. on the plate. There was right. nothing real. It was just everything was... Manipulated. Yeah, right. hydrocolide or whatever it was, but it was all that. It wasn't anything else but that. I think it's like any kind of trend when you get that, the best things... Mm. remain so a lot of people still use foams yeah right? yeah and they have a, a really good place in the in the mm-hmm. kitchen now so people wouldn't even consider that molecular gastronomy yeah. anymore but yeah. the baseline it is for the know? uninitiated do one of you want to explain what uh molecular gastronomy is <laughs> well it's it's in its i think in its simplest form it's it's 
Um, I can give you an example. Okay. So I can take carrot juice or balsamic vinegar, mm-hmm. and it'll taste like carrot juice. It'll taste like balsamic vinegar, but it'll look like caviar. Mm. You know, so so you can manipulate through through hydrocolides, uh, through uh, emulsifiers, uh, things of that nature. You can you can manipulate something. It looks like it looks like something else, but it tastes like it tastes like something else as well. Interesting. Like an apple can be turned into caviar or a ravioli. Um, it's 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 just really salt. I can take salt and turn it into foam. So it'll it'll have the consistency of foam, but it'll taste like salt. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's a very um, at the time it was very uh, cutting edge. Yeah. And again, very trendy to to use that word again. Um, but um, I think it did have an application into the science behind a lot of things. And we spoke about the Maillard reaction and you know what that means and. <laughs> I think you're right there. I think the implications um, for the food science, mm. uh, it really expanded yeah. that whole side of it. I mean, not only for professionals, but for other people who kind of got turned on with that. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at all the different chefs now who started off really excited about mm-hmm. the molecular, right. and they've gone mm-hmm. more and more into that food science mm-hmm. um area. Yeah. No, I think I would have done that too. I would have gotten into more of the food science realm if I was exposed to it more. But back then, I mean, there was no such, well, technically there was molecular gastronomy back then. We just, nobody, nobody really knew about it. I think they were, they were doing it in certain kitchens. It's just that those secrets were kept secret and nobody ever, because I was reading books, a lot of books about it, that it was actually invented decades prior to Farron Audrey actually coming out with his, with his restaurant, I believe. And, uh, it it's it just kind of stayed in the back and then never really came out because uh, uh, Farron actually when he he he's not wasn't traditionally uh, uh, educated he no. started off as a pot washer and then he just worked his way up the ranks and ended up buying the restaurant that he, that he was working <laughs> as a pot washer so but wow. he was a genius I mean very very few times does uh, someone like that in our in in lifetime uh, you have geniuses that are born into society and he was uh, the genius of that age in regards to food, you know, and how to present it and how to do that. So it was amazing. Cool. So um, to get off of uh, molecular gastronomy and get back to on there, I guess. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I always get asked this, why West Virginia? Because I get asked this all the time. Why are you here? Why are you in West Virginia? Um, for me, being in Chicago, getting to have that experience, I do love the city. Uh, I moved from Chicago to D.C., worked at Masseria, another Italian. We had one star still to this day. Uh, still a star, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice that luckily it's still open, so no closures. <laughs> it's always unfortunate when a place like that has to close. But kind of finding the best of both worlds and mm-hmm. trying to form – honestly make myself have a little bit better of a work to uh, outside of work life yeah. rather than just uh, working is my life. Yes. Right. And that's, that's, that's the challenge for that's a big anybody in the restaurant business or mm-hmm. food business in general, but yeah. really yeah. in that uh, restaurant business where you're so tied to those times and, you know, it, it can be difficult to juggle that. Yeah. And I definitely see in this area specifically – a big movement of people coming out of those cities or I don't want to say getting tired of them, but looking Mm -hmm. elsewhere, looking for other avenues 
Um, also in this area, we have all of the farms. Um, yep. Not to say that I'm very pro-farm, but I, you know, fortunately enough in the position I'm in, I can, mm-hmm. I do a lot of local farm work, whether it's buying goat milk, goat cheese, mm-hmm. uh, produce. I have my own little mushroom guy I work with every week and I get Great. special mushrooms just for me at the restaurant. So, you know, in the city, those those places exist. Mm-hmm. And I think the avenues are there, but distribution's a big part of that. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about a restaurant, you you only have only so many supply chains at a certain point. Um, even at Masseria, we used uh, several farms actually out of PA, but you can you can only do so much. This gets into the unfortunate side of you know being driven by money, right? You, mm-hmm. I have to keep my job. I That's have to right. be able to mm-hmm. pay everybody. So like, right. I would love to support all these businesses, but at a certain point you have to be like, well, I can get it from this distributor at half the price. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, and that's, and that's understandable because you have to work within the means of your finances. Right. You know, and there are certain things that, there are certain battles that you can wage and there are certain battles that you can't. Yeah. Right, and you can only charge so much for a meal. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yes, yeah. no, that is... <laughs> Yeah. You know, I mean, even in a, you have a really fine dining <coughs> establishment, mm. um, f- fantastic wines, right? Mm-hmm. Service is great. I know the people that work in the kitchen are pretty good because I trained them. <laughs> 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 but th- there is a finite amount that you can get that people are willing to pay. Yeah. Um, and when you meet that price point, you know, you, you're trying to get as high as you can and still keep your margins where you can keep the lights on and pay people as you say. Right. Yeah. And you know, marketing plays a big, big role in that too, where you market, you know, cause your demographic is different. I mean, your demographic yep. is there. You have to, you know, kind of feed into, into where you are uh, to a certain extent. It depends on how much local business you have. If you have a lot of business that, that it's commuter business where you, you have to come in to come in and stay with you guys. And that's another story. Maybe you, you advertise in DC and, you know, in other areas like that. But, uh, you know, I think probably more locally, right? You guys concentrate more locally. Uh, unfortunately not. No. Mm-hmm. Um, not to my understanding mm-hmm. uh, and from several just passive Google searches. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the year and a half that I've lived here and worked at Hillbrook, mm-hmm. uh, most of the people that I talk to and casual conversation are like, where's Hillbrook? And I'm like, <laughs> well... Uh, it's been where it's at for 28 years. Uh, I've lived here a year and I realize I work there, so I know where it is, but I'm surprised you don't know or have heard of it. Yes. Um, and I think directionally, you know, every, every year there's different Mm. milestones you hit to try and capture. And I think as an in, we do, or naturally gravitated for Mm -hmm. that commuter business, right? Looking to get those people that are coming out of DC and, Wanting that kind of so you do corporate countryside events, wedding yeah. events, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. Right. Sounds very good. Okay, so uh, we're just going to continue with the conversation uh, with Chef Rampy, and uh, so you know, Chef Rampy has a opportunity to uh, have some of our interns with him. Uh, right now, he has Emma and and, and Robert. Mm-hmm. Bob, yep. Uh, so, what has your internship experience been with our students? 
So both of them are very different. I've treated them different outside of the means because like anybody, all of us have separate things that drive us, right? Mm -hmm. Especially in the kind of trade world we're in, we prospectively have things that we like to do more than others. Mm -hmm. I think that's true for anybody. I think for coaching, it's the best, you know, I need to get the avenues done, right? We have tentative menu and in terms of tackling that in the most efficient means, definitely try progressively lean towards a divide and conquer technique. And so with that, you know, Mm -hmm. you especially have heard Emma and her escapades on uh, the pastry program or the things I've done. Yes. Yes. Um, And with that, I think it's more of a necessary evil. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to school, bachelor's culinary, Mm -hmm. did all that. And looking back, there are things that I think I I wish I would have focused more on mm-hmm. in terms of, like, my – what I chose not to take away from school when I should have. Mm-hmm. And so I, I definitely subject them to that um, and make them do things that they don't like. Right. Because – Outside their comfort zone. Right. Yeah. 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 You have to do that, though. I think you're right to do that, to push them. But in terms of them coming in, do you feel like they were prepared to work in a professional kitchen? I think the devil is in the detail, and I think some of the things, every kitchen's the same, so it's hard to be like, for me, prospectively, do I have nicks and things that I would have liked them to maybe been more prepared for or more adjusted to? Sure, but being as I have, like, the from school experience and knowing that I also had to deal with what, Mm-hmm. Somebody else dealt with me. Right. I try and be a little bit more mm-hmm. like uh, judgmental is not really the word I want to use, but like less accommodating. Right. Yeah. Um, well, because yeah, we're, we're we're you know we we do that, and Chef Miriam teaches an a la carte kitchen class, but it's a very controlled environment. Right. We can't have right. We can't have fifty people showing up at, at the front door and say, "Oh, we and we only have enough food for 10. You know, right. it's it's a very controller. So you you give them the experience of real world, uh, real world experience. We 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 tried to give we them as much. Simulate it we as simulate much as, as much as we can. Yeah. Even in the regular classroom process, you know, I make them do CPLs. They have to do master tasks and timelines. They have to come into my class prepared to work. Right. There's a an emphasis on work ethic. Um, but students will only get out of a program what they put into it. Right. You know, and so you're really hoping, though, that when you, when you send your students out into the industry, they come in, mm. they have a notebook, their clothes are clean, they're on time, they can take direction, right? Those are the things that I'm trying to instill in them. And I think the detail, kind of, the, and this is also me looking back, not just that, these two, you know, Emma and Bob, but looking at other kitchens as a whole board, what I also felt like in my schooling was the lack of, like, preparedness in the sense of, like, monotony. Like, Mm. the devil Mm. is in the detail, like, your knife cut need to be on point. Yes. Every time. But Mm -hmm. the monotony of just only doing, you know, a pint of each school Knowing that in the real world, 
you're doing four courts. Right. And you need to be able to have the mental facility and stamina to be able to do that on every day basis when you're at work. And then also being of the mindset that like, this is a stepping stone and that if I don't put my time and work in now, I'm not ever going to do it. And it's not going to get any easier or better for me just Mm -hmm. because I've been doing it for an exponential amount of time. And that it's, it's very like, we all put in what we get out, right? Yep. In theory, mm-hmm. it's an exact give and take. And I think sometimes it's easiest, right, to just throw somebody out there and be like, ah, you don't, you don't believe me. You go on to the next one and see. <laughs> see, I'll be waiting on that text to be like, you were right. Right, right. And I think for, I think I got lucky with Bob and Emma um, because they do have that work ethic that no matter how many times I've been like, all right, guys, following the recipe <laughs> is important. Right. And then also just not having a bit of humbleness because at the end, again, fine dining, I put my little hands in hair quotes, but there are certain techniques or things that are important that are different or may not have been gotten taught and you don't need to be embarrassed by asking like, hey, I need you to re-explain this or the proper procedure because I also grew up where you write recipes in your recipe book and you do not write procedures because if somebody took your recipe and don't know the procedures, they cannot recreate (laughs) what you made. I've worked with chefs like that. And unfortunately, I'm... That so there's a lot of times that I've given them a recipe and they're like, well, what's the procedure? And I'm like, A by C by D, and then you take, you know, B back in after you get to D, and they're like, uh, okay. Yeah, and then I I could see why that it was confused. The thing you got to understand too um, about a community college in this situation, like when you and I went through culinary school, we were yeah. there every day. Right, you're there yeah, every yeah. day for eight hours. You're cooking continually. You're cleaning, right? All of that. Yeah. They don't have that type of intense experience. We get them for one day. Now they might be in the lab every day of the week, but they're taking a different class. Right. Right. So you only get a certain amount of time with them, and there's only so much that you can cover with them. And believe me, I try and throw everything I can at them, yeah. so that they at least have some little bit of experience mm-hmm. they go into a kitchen like yours and they're like oh okay um asparagus oh yeah i've worked with asparagus before mm-hmm. or you right. know something um really unusual you know they sure. they've at least tried that right oh we, yeah we we cooked octopus yeah i did that mm-hmm. <laughs> but um it really is impossible to cover and you you know every chef is different yes no and it, it's also like unfair perspectively be like, well, they weren't changed this, but that would be one person perspective. You go to the next kitchen and that same person could have a totally different outcome or Mm -hmm. like that person's expectation or the way they want things done. They're, you know, the all-star. They couldn't have gotten any better. It's all perspective and also, you know, what 
their expectations for the student are as mm -hmm. well as like mm -hmm. the expectations for the restaurant. Yeah, I think that's very true. I think that's a very good point. And it's yep. it's all about standards and, you know, I try and joke with them at some points that I'm a benevolent dictator and there's certain <laughs> days that that's the, I, that I should I be ask. in the dictionary next to executive chef. <laughs> yes, benevolent dictator, that'd yes. be a good one. But I just try and make sure that you know it's a continued evolution of learning, right? Mm -hmm. I myself am still learning day to day, whether it's something directly related to cooking, whether it's having, you know, finding out different mycelium and growing mushroom. It's still related to what I do. It's still right. part. Mm -hmm. Everything's constant learning. And it's to make sure that also, I, you know, I do the next guy one better where, you know, whether I teach them certain techniques or train them of like fail safes of like, well, if this didn't work out, it's because X, Y, C, and this works across the board for, you know, this section of mm -hmm. pastry, mm -hmm. you know, or for knife work or for cooking. Like speaking of the Mylard reaction, re-articulating everything they've already been taught at school, right? Like mm -hmm. right. we do these proteins. Unfortunately, I don't do really any reverse searing at, uh, Hillbrook right now, nor that I've done that, but um, reinstating like things that they've already learned or talked about and building that foundation of why you use certain cook methods for certain things. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And outcome, looking at the start and the beginning. Luckily, we're a very small place. And so, you know, Bob and Emma get to see from the base where it starts to final products pretty much every day, whether it's, you know, Bob making the carrot cake, which is the base foundation for the cheesecake, to mm -hmm. then making caramel, candied, you know, carrots, using a savory component and a sweet application, mm -hmm. to then, you know, make, talking about Emma with baseline sauce work. You mm -hmm. know, I know she made soup stock class. I know she made beef, but, you know, there's, I always, another phrase that I get, ostracized for is there's more than one way to skin a cat right yeah, there you go. Right. and right. every chef i don't like using the c word i hate it personally um has a different way of doing it and it's mm -hmm. just figuring out mm -hmm. how he likes it done mm -hmm. and that's or all, she yeah well yeah. right <laughs> she and it's really just like you know everybody's going to want you to cut the onion certain even a certain way yes Mm -hmm. You know, same thing with any anything, you know, mm -hmm. bread making. Talk about that as a particular subject as well. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just finding those nuances, you know, coming into your own and knowing, having the confidence to, if you have a question, just ask. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. we're we're here to teach at the end of the day. Like, that's true. Luckily, yeah. I think as a. I was going to say careers, all those words are not the right word, but, you know, there's not this breathing down the neck of, like, you just need to get it done. It's more of a teaching role now as chefs, not just do it. I think that's true. I think the industry is really changing um, mm -hmm. from being maybe not so benevolent a dictator, <laughs> right. but more and more um, chefs are becoming facilitators to their staff and with their staff about what their final vision is and how to get mm -hmm. there. Yeah. yeah, It makes a big difference. People yeah. feel they're valued. They're going to do better for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you need a grand vision and you need, mm -hmm. you need everybody to buy in. Mm 
mm-hmm. you know, and the way to do that is to sell your vision and get people behind it. And that's, that's a good way to, to, to think about it. It's not only no, that, too. Right. If people feel like they're going to come into your kitchen mm-hmm. and they're going to have that experience, because you want people like Emma and Bob that are self-driven, mm-hmm. right? They're gonna, they oh, yeah. know when they leave that kitchen, they're going to leave with a lot more knowledge and a mm-hmm. lot more experience. And what happens is the people coming up behind them, they're like, oh, no, you have to go work for Chef Rampy because right. you're going to learn so much from him. Right. Right. So that kind of keeps that ball rolling. Yeah. And that kind of leads us into our, our final question for Chef is, is you know, what is the Hillbrook, what can the Hillbrook offer our students, our, our budding interns, our interns that are going to actually come out into the industry again and want to work for the Hilton or, or a facility? You know, and you've kind of answered that. I mean, you're basically going to learn soup to nuts, basically, from beginning to end and how the establishment works. And they're going to be trained out of their comfort zone at, on, on certain occasions. You know, uh, but but also understand the process and why you do that. You know, you do this to grow. You do this to learn new things, to be well-rounded, to be, you know, uh, desired in the industry. You know, the more knowledge you have, Mm -hmm. eventually the more desired you're going to be. The age-old statement, knowledge is power. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, very good. Very good. All right. Uh, so we're going to uh, we're going to move ahead. Our next segment is into the dish pit, and this is our food safety segment. And we have we're going to talk a little bit about because I just got done with it again for like the tenth <laughs> time in my career because it's good. Like I think for like I don't know. Well, it's not the tenth time. Now, yeah. isn't it? It's five, five years. years. Yeah, originally it was like three years or two years That's in right. one place, three mm-hmm. years, and now it's five years. So maybe it'll be ten years the next time I take. It. Who knows? <laughs> well, then I'll be retired. <laughs> right, and I won't right, have to right. do it again. Yes. So. Uh, so serve safe and food handler certification. Why is this important? All right, this is a round table here. Oh, it's actually kind of a triangle <laughs> well, table. Well, a triangle table. <laughs> a triangle table um, here. Why is it important? What is the food industry's most important task? What's the ultimate thing that they that they have? The responsibility is not to make people sick. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it all stems from that. Yeah. Yeah, and this is this is a um, you know a little known. Um, well, a little an institution to a lot of folks. Uh, when I say the NRA, I don't mean the NRA. I mean the other <laughs> NRA. I mean the National Restaurant Association. It's like the CIA. <laughs> no, right. no, no, the other CIA. <laughs> right. So it's, it's um, you know, and they've been doing this for decades, you know, and uh, we're lucky, lucky to have um, uh, Kevin Scott, has been teaching that and he's been involved with the uh, National Restaurant Association for for quite a few years and um, has been an instructor for Surf Safe for a while. He was actually one of our guests in one of our podcasts uh, mm-hmm. a couple of podcasts ago. Uh, wealth of information in regards to food safety and uh, he's been at, I think he said, what, 43 countries? Yeah, all over. Yeah, mm-hmm. 43 countries and I'm sure he's got horror stories. We'll have to invite him back. We'll have horror stories about uh, food safety in many, many of those countries. But I don't know that that's appropriate for the radio. No, well, you know, I think it's good to be it's good to be aware of seeing things that happen behind the kitchen and uh, behind the scenes. But it's, um, you know, it's it's something that it's it's one of one of the most important classes that I think our students take because it's we do an online version because of COVID. We do online version and and it's um, what we have on is very um, uh, a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of information there, but we apply what they learn on that online component. Oh, absolutely. In the classroom on a mm-hmm. daily basis. You have to model it. Yeah. You have to correct them and right. keep them going. And, and that's an 
ongoing all the time thing to get them to maintain that standard. Yeah. And, you know, food safety is, you know, if you're not really sure, food safety is different in, in different states. It doesn't necessarily don't mirror. One isn't, isn't a standalone. It doesn't mirror everything. It's different states and different counties have different guidelines. So there could be very different in how you can work with certain food products or not. So it, it's, it's very important for restaurateurs, uh, if you're moving into a new area, to contact your local health department. Um, you know. Sure, but then if your standards that for your county or your town or whatever are mm. not as stringent mm. as the surf safe, then you should always go with that surf safe. You should go with that highest uh, of course. standard. Of course, if your if your standard is higher and you're more familiar with that standard, absolutely, absolutely stick to that standard. But then what you're doing is, or also, you, if you're a new chef coming into a new facility, and your standard is higher then you're going to have to train your staff to that, mm-hmm. to that new standard, mm-hmm. you know? So that's, that's, you know, that, and that's great. I mean, if you can get them up to that new standard and that's great, but uh, so technically there needs to be one person that surf safe certified on property at all times of the operation. Right. Yep. But we're lucky at Blue Ridge because <laughs> we probably have a, I don't know, every person that's in the in the kitchen is pretty much surf safe certified. Yeah, they're manager certified. Yeah, manager certification. Mm-hmm. So when we, we the, one of the goals of for all of our students coming out of any one of our programs is to be surf safe manager certifi- certified. That's correct. And, and a, all the faculty are allergen certified uh, as Right, well. exactly right, because mm-hmm. we just did that. Uh, Chef Miriam started that uh, process for all of us. So we're all allergen certified as well. Um, and it's good to be certified in all of that because allergies or allergens have become a big part of what we do. Has it, has it become a part of what you do as well over at Hilbert? Yeah, um, that's one thing actually Bob has been forced to learn as my kind of bread pastry guy. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of gluten-free work. Okay. Um, and also just general training with Emma and Bob in terms of like, so when you talk about changing a product like that and pre-buying because to buy all the different rice flours and the tapioca, the cassava mm-hmm. to then make your own. It's a, it's a whole independent venture as it stands on its own. Mm-hmm. You've got to go back and look at, well, if they, you know, the rice flour, all of those ingredients that are in that packaging, which is kind of new or different for us at Hillbrook because we use a lot of base products. So it's easier for us to be like, well, they can't have this dish because there's sesame in several layers of it or so on and so forth. So it's important to understand allergies and how they affect mm-hmm. your product and also applications across the board. Mm-hmm. There's a big one we have now because we have octopus on the menu <laughs> and how that falls under actually several different mm-hmm. um, allergies in terms of when you talk about mollusks or, mm-hmm. you know, cephalopod mm-hmm. and what, how they're affected by that. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody that's allergic to a mollusk or mollusk, sorry, is also allergic to mm-hmm. octopus. Same thing as a whole when somebody's like, I'm allergic to seafood. Well, right. that's a, right. it's, it's a, a whole, yeah, it, I mean, we usually could, it's crustaceans, but then right. it, it can ramp up into anything really. Mm-hmm. It yeah. can go into anything. And then, yeah. you know, you get that weird one off where like, Periwinkles, right? It's right. where does that fall under? And right, it's just right. kind of I'm that allergic like to cucumbers or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's it's really basic things too, right? Like Worcestershire sauce, mm. right? Mm. Is 
general, so, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's an anchovy-based product, right, right. right. So, and if you don't know it, yes, if you're not aware of that, mm. you're just thinking you're putting some something savory in your dish, right? right? Exactly. So, well, there's also certain certain supplements that are out there now that have shellfish in them. Oh and yeah. If you don't look at that, that's true too. You know that mm. that could be a problem too. So allergens are have become very, um, you know, thank God for now in vogue. You know, so that we're aware of it. Yeah, you know, and you know. and you really have to. Yeah. You really have to keep yourself up on it, and yeah. like sesame, right? Yeah. That's just well, that's a new one. Yes, that's a new one that's yes. been added. Yes. Right. So it's not not the big eight anymore. It's the big nine. It's the big nine. Big nine. <laughs> Probably the big ten is on <laughs> the way. Yeah, yeah. that's going to be sure. next year. Maybe that'll be candy. <laughs> <laughs> just as long as they don't take away or my sugar. Chocolate. You know, if it's sugar, you think I think yeah. take away what? My chocolate. Oh yeah. No, I don't think. no chocolate's good. Chocolate's an antioxidant, especially if you have the dark chocolate. Milk chocolate, not so much. White chocolate, no, because there was no chocolate in it. But uh, dark chocolate, I, I can definitely wrap myself around some dark chocolate. <laughs> definitely. All right. So um, uh, our next segment is going to be uh, tools and equipment. And Chef Miriam has has some, uh, well, what do you, maybe I want you to go ahead and you talk about it. What, okay. what, what do you have? What's so the um, tool that I'm highlighting this time around is a potato ricer. Um, it's a nifty little device. It's very simple to use. Uh, there's no button, buttons to push. It's just, mm-hmm. you know. And basically what it is, you can also use um, a, a food mill that does the same thing. Um, but I like the ricer. It's very simple to use. They're not an expensive tool. And if you're making, there's a recipe attached in the show notes, right, Joel? Yeah. Um, for French mashed potatoes. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, my kids used to call them puddle potatoes because you put so much. You rice the potatoes, you dry them and rice them, and then you just start adding butter. And when the when you put the potato on the plate, it relaxes, right? <laughs> so, um, so it gives you the opportunity to get a really beautiful, smooth texture. Um, so that's what the... Um, that's what our little yeah. tool and equipment segment. And if is you don't, today. if you don't know what a what a potato ricer looks like, it looks like a like a garlic press, right? Looks a big like. What a if big, you don't know what a garlic okay. press looks exactly. like? Exactly. <laughs> if you don't know what a garlic press looks like, you're out of luck. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it looks like that. Yeah. Well, it's a little basket, and it's got a, a yeah. press, and you, you just put it through. Absolutely. Anyway, we, we have, have a photograph of a potato ricer up on the show notes. <laughs> yeah, and so if you, you watch the video out. version, we'll have it we up have in the video mills. now, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. We should do the food mills, too. I forgot about those. <laughs> um, okay, so our next uh, segment we're going to slide into right now is our recipe segment, and Chef Miriam's going to take a lead, a lead on that, too, because that leads into our other segment, uh, but I'm not going to talk about it. I want Chef Miriam to talk about that. Okay. So the recipe, we have two recipes up this week. Um, of course, we have the potatoes, and then we have uh, Jacques Pepin's roast potato, uh, roast chicken. Um, it's all about technique with the, with the chicken, right? It's not about just throwing your chicken in the oven and letting it do its thing. Um, this is a method that's very traditional in France, and that's the method that I learned when I went through culinary school, is to turn your chicken on the side, and the whole thing gets just beautifully cooked. Um, so that's an example up there for that. There's literally three instructions with it, and there's like three ingredients to <laughs> it. It's so simple. Um, but if you try this technique, you mm-hmm. will have beautiful, beautiful, moist, wonderfully cooked mm-hmm. chicken. So that's going to take us into our next segment. Right. Mm-hmm. What could that be? 
That's our entertainment section. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So we, we usually talk about uh, food on film, foodie movies, documentaries, reality, social media. Uh, but today we're going to talk about someone that has um, been around for quite a while and is also um, one of the elite culinary educators of our time. Absolutely. Right? Chef Mary, why don't you go ahead and introduce our... So today we're going to talk a little bit about Chef Jacques Papin. Um, he is, uh, I guess... Best known for his PBS shows mm-hmm. with uh, Julia Child. Um, he, w- he and Julia Child were great friends. Uh, Craig Claiborne, James Beard. And this was all before there was such a thing as a foodie and a, a celebrity chef or mm-hmm. any of that. Uh, but he just has a fascinating story. Um, he was born in 1939, I think, um, yeah. in France. And uh, 35, actually. 35, okay. Yes. And then he went into the kitchen at 13 to start his apprenticeship. Uh, that is not unusual in Europe, right? right? Nope. Not at all. Chef <laughs> mm-hmm. um, did that as well. He went into um, right. school at 14 to do that um, for culinary. Mm-hmm. However, anyway. Um, he ended up rising through, um, becoming a really good chef, and ended up being the executive chef for three heads of state for France. Mm-hmm. Then he moved to America and worked in some of the finest French restaurants here and actually got offered a job to be the White House chef by Robert Kennedy. Right. And um, he turned it down. Yes. Right. And he said, nope. Been there, done that, and I was um, I was amazed by by what he turned it down for. Uh, well, that's a really interesting thing, and this is why he's had such a profound impact on right. American food. <laughs> he went to Howard Johnson's. Yeah, and I I used to eat there as a kid all the time. Okay, he was the head of research and development for ten years. Yeah. So he really led that um, whole team in because at the time when Howard Johnson's came out, mm-hmm. that type of food, that type of it was. People weren't doing it, right? right? Yep. And all of that, well, d- what did that lead to? It led to Stouffer's. It led to, yeah. right? Because people saw there was a market for that type of food. Right. So he really has had a, an amazing um, effect on American cuisine. When I was, when I was, I'll bring Howard Johnson's back in because I, I mean, every Friday night or Saturday we would go to Howard Johnson's. My parents and I would go to Howard Johnson's. And we would have, we would have the all-you-can-eat clam strips. So if he was if he was part of that, <laughs> he made you happy. Huh? And I had tartar sauce with that. That was me. I was I was in my I was in my little heaven there because just dipping the clam strips in the tartar sauce and just like with the wow. French fries and all that stuff. I, I mean, good childhood memories there. Yeah. Well, I I tell you now he's also had um, a huge impact on uh, professional culinarians. Um, he came out. Uh, I think it was when nineteen seventy nine for La Technique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I, I hadn't heard of the book until I went to culinary school, mm. right? Same. Yes. My copy today is literally <laughs> held together with rubber bands, right. and it's dog-eared, and it's splattered, and it's... But he talked about developing that muscle memory, mm-hmm. right? And same thing mm-hmm. you were talking about with the knife skills. You have to practice and practice and practice and practice until your hands know exactly what to do without you having to think too consciously about it. And um, and then just from his lectures and his um, television shows, I just love the simplicity of his cooking. He doesn't waste anything. Right. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, 
incredibly fancy to be fantastic. If he needs it to be incredibly fancy, he has all of the experience and the technique to be able to show you how to do that and to do it himself. But I just love that he makes food so approachable, whether you're a mm. professional or, or not. Yeah. He's right? Very much like Julia Child in that way, the male version almost. They're, they're, they both kind of mirror each other. They're both in, individual icons. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't want to really kind of meld the two together. But, uh, you know, that that teaching dynamic that they both have, mm-hmm. that they can make things that are hard look simple, that the uh, common kitchen you know, folks that are in the kitchen, they're just learning, will attempt to do, like making puff pastry or, right. or doing something like that, something that you wouldn't normally take a book up and say, I'm going to give that a shot. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, they're, it's very approachable the way that they've educated the American populace and, and people that are, you know, wanting to watch. And now you can continue to, to uh, enjoy that either through PBS or through YouTube or through a lot of streaming services. And even to this day, He's still authoring books. Oh, at, he is. I, I just got his new one for, yeah. <laughs> for Christmas. That was a self-Christmas present. <laughs> yeah. So he's still authoring books at, you know, 2022, I think, was the last last book that he authored. And he sees 88 and still going strong. Um, you know, I, No, no, no. His, so his latest one was actually later than that. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. The Art of the Chicken. The Art of the Chicken. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. 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 So, and he, I mean, he's 88. He still does lectures. He does yeah. um, the food and wine shows mm-hmm. and, you know. So. What do we be doing when we're ADHD? Oh, much the same. The same thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds about right. Sounds about right. Yeah, sounds about right. I'll still be right? making gingerbread houses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that sounds good. Uh, but what a, what a fantastic uh, what a fantastic chef to um, to spotlight. Um, you know, and uh, we've done a, we've done a couple, but uh, I think Jacques Pepin is probably one of the. Maybe we can call him up, Joel. You have. Uh, <laughs> Call him up and try to get him on one get of our string, Pull some no, strings. No, no, no. Have him come visit class. Executive. Oh, visit the school. Wouldn't amazing. that be something? Yeah. Some yeah. Executive producing <laughs> yeah. on your part. There we go. Yeah, very good. All I'd right. be a little starstruck. No, I would. <laughs> I would be terrified. I absolutely, absolutely would be. That would be, be absolutely amazing. I would love that. Yeah. All right, so we've come to our wow moment. This is our words of wisdom. Uh, never go to a grocery store on an empty stomach, and you can always reach for a falling star, but never reach for a falling knife. And we want to thank our guest, Chef Rampy, because we don't know his first name, <laughs> for coming and enjoying uh, some time here with us, and uh, very insightful. And thank you so much for being here and uh, being such a great mentor to our students. Really, wow. really yeah, do thank appreciate you. Glad that. Glad I've had the opportunity. Yeah. This has been a What's Brewing at the Culinary Academy podcast brought to you by the Academy of Hospitality and Culinary Arts here at Blue Ridge Community and Technical College. You can listen to this and other podcasts just like this one on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we thank you for joining us. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. <laughs> okay.